little recap on what we've looked at quick fly through if you've not been in any of these series that i'm going to talk about feel free to go and have a listen on our podcasts because uh, hopefully it'll be stuff that's really helpful to you but what we've looked at over the last six months or so um we've looked at this phrase um that discipleship is becoming who jesus would be if he was you okay that we understand that that actually rather than us all trying to be just like Christ, um, sometimes it's difficult when you think he was, uh, he was single, he died at the age of 33, he was a carpenter. How does that relate to my actual life? Actually, if Jesus was in your shoes, what would your life look like? That's the basic essence of it. So in order to understand that, we thought, let's find out who we are. So we looked at identity uh, and the layers of identity and what has made us the person we are today and the importance of, of even sometimes historically going back and inviting God into those different parts of our lives and seeing what he can do with that. Um, and I suppose us getting a real sense of who we are in God, that we're a child of God first and foremost. And what does that mean then for our identity moving forward? We then looked at, OK, well, if this is not just about us and our identity, it's about Jesus. Um, what are the characteristics of Jesus that could shape us moving forward what are the values and things that made him who he was um, that should really impact who we are moving forward so we know that God loves us who as we are but actually he also wants us to grow and develop and be changed so uh, we looked at the characteristics of Jesus the question then is where do we go from there Um, and what what I've been kind of thinking about and praying about is is the idea of if this ultimately if our life ultimately is about being ambassadors for Jesus, being representatives of Jesus, we need to make sure that we uh, are positioned and focused and, and, I suppose, dedicated to making a difference to the lives of other people. And one of the key things we need to remember in that, um, I suppose we're talking about learning to function as a Christian in, in this society. So what we need to think about then is, is we need to understand our society, don't we? We need to understand the people around us, the situations that have, have led to people thinking and feeling the way that they actually are. We're going to look at this whole uh, subject of making an impact. Um, so this morning I'm going, to, I'm going to open up where we begin with that and we're going to look at this whole idea of understanding our society, understanding what has gone before um, when I understand that, how does that change my approach to how I'm going to live life and connect with other people? And ask that question, what is my aim? What is my aim then? What am I aiming to do in my life? And I think we already touched on it. We want to make impact. Uh, we want to have an impact on people. We want to do as Jesus said in Matthew 28, where he talks about making disciples. We want to make disciples where appropriate. So if there's an opportunity for someone to come on a journey of, um, of connecting with God and becoming like Jesus, we want to make disciples. But sometimes we've got to understand that people might not be ready for that straight away. So when we say we're going to make disciples, this isn't a quick win. This is a long-term game that we're dedicating our time to. How long does that take is the, is the impossible question to answer. For some people, the process of becoming a Christian might take their entire life. And for other people, it might be that they choose quickly, but then their discipleship journey is a long term one. So it's not about, OK, we, we've got this Blue Peter style target of making disciples. We need to hit 100,000 and then we know we've done our job. Actually, it's way more complex than that. Um, but those are the kind of things we want to make an impact, we want to make disciples where appropriate, getting involved in that long term game. But but. 
ultimately we need to choose to be loved to people. That's what we're talking about. And if that's what drives us in all of the different things we're doing, that's, in essence, how we can effectively make an impact. We looked last week at a quote by um, a guy called Bob Goff, uh, and he said this, love with an agenda is not love. And it's quite a damning quote, but it's true. Because if you love someone only if they will do this or come here or do that, that's not love at all. And we're losing the heart of what this is all about if we place agenda as, as our driving force for that relationship, for that connection, for that, that thing that we're involved in. We need to take a step back and say, actually, love, um, it, it conquers agenda. It, it, is, it is over agenda. It's before agenda. And that's, that should be um, one of the important things. And, and then when we think about society... And love and, and making an impact. If we need to be loved to the people in society, we must understand how life works for them and what is going on with our society in order to be effective in the way that we do it. A few months ago, I, I discovered this podcast, um, which I'll be honest with you, when I first listened to it, I thought it was just a little bit overcomplicated, a little bit wordy, a little bit too Christian, a little bit too intellectual. Um, and it just blinded me with lots and lots of buzz phrases and buzzwords and all this kind of stuff. And it was really fast. Uh, and I ended up thinking, oh, man, this is, this is almost giving me a headache listening to it. But actually, as I persevered with it, it's about five sessions, five short, um, short episodes, I began to realise um, the real power in what it was talking about. And the, the podcast was called This Cultural Moment. And it's by, uh, by two guys, an American guy called John Mark Comer, Uh, and uh, an Australian guy called Mark Sayers. And they're both much more intelligent than me, much more clever than me, um, much more learned and researched than I am. But there was something about what they were talking about um, that really made something rise up within me. And and basically what I want to talk about today is, is very much based on what they unpack in their first two episodes. And really, in essence, it's about, their podcast is about how do we exist in a post-Christian world? And that's what I want to talk to us about today and, and unpack a little bit of their findings. Their, their findings are based around this, this research done by a guy called um, Philip Reef, uh, who uh, did some sociological studies all around culture. And what he identifies is, is three stages of culture. OK, first, second and third culture. Um, and they basically go through quite effectively looking at the world and society and the way it's evolved and the way it's moved through these different cultures. And as we talk about it, you'll see examples that you've seen or you've seen on the news that kind of describe this stuff. Uh, and we're going to look at it, I suppose, more from the context of thinking about it within the Christian world and how, how it affects us now. Because, because really, unless we embrace this stuff and understand it, we're, we're kind of... Um, ill-equipped to be effective in the way that we communicate to our society. So they describe this first culture um, in the world, in society, as a pre-Christian culture. And what that looks like um, is a world that is shaped by spiritual forces. It's a belief in spiritual matters. It's a belief in lots and lots of different gods. This kind of culture, a first culture... It's highly spiritual, but there's no knowledge of Christ. Okay, so there's there's lots of interest in higher powers and other things, but there's no knowledge of Christ in it. 
So it's driven often by paganism uh, and idolatry, all those kind of things, and generic spirituality, but with no foundation. So you see it in, uh, in Europe uh, before the gospel of Jesus makes its way over here, uh, the time of the Roman Empire and their kind of focus on paganism. You look at it and see it in somewhere like Africa before the modern mission movement, before that message of Jesus goes in. There's no knowledge of Christ, but the society and the culture is steeped in spirituality. And it's often focused around gods, goddesses, demons, angels, good and evil. So you can begin to build a picture, can't you, of of what does society look like when people have this generic interest in spirituality, but have no foundation or substance to to connect that to. And we can all think about um, films or, or stuff set in the past or stories that we've read that describe that kind of thing. It's easier, I suppose, to look at places like Africa. There's probably still places you could go that are first culture places that don't have this this centre figure that they focus on, but they're just generally aware of spiritual stuff. And when you read that last bit, gods, goddesses, demons, angels, good and evil, you can see that there are parts of the world that still exist like that. So that's first culture. The second culture that moves on from that is described as a creedal culture. Uh, And we would look at it and describe it as a Christianised culture. Okay, and what that looks like is is we see in history the birth of the main religions, um, a decision by people to reject paganism, to reject this kind of idolatry stuff and instead focus on um, the figurehead stuff. They describe it um, as people embracing a monotheistic view of spirituality. You can see where I got lost with words like that. A monotheistic view of spirituality, one God to focus on. Or, or at least one religion, one, one structure, one foundation to focus on. Um, and that's, that's, that's what begun to happen in loads and loads of societies, uh, that this culture would rise up as people um, identified and gathered around one particular belief system. And often these things were justice-based, and they were often centred around a holy book. There was something sacred about these different um, places. And what you can see then is society, if you think about a Christianised culture, we can see uh, cultures and societies that are shaped by a Christian value system. There's a moral standpoint that comes in around what Jesus described as the kingdom of God. This idea that God has an ideal way of us living and working and operating sets this standard for us all to start to live by. Uh, And you can see in Western culture, it's shaped by Christ and his teaching. And what's happened is we've grown up through that. It's become so part of our nature and our understanding that what we find, uh, what we describe now as human values, so valuing stuff like equality, dignity of life, justice, all of these kind of things, these things that we would describe as human values are actually really Christian values that have been adopted and taken on by people. So that's the second culture. Um, And what you find is when you look at first culture and second culture, we then understand why there was this birth of the modern missionary movement. So what would happen is people would have the revelation of the second culture. They begin to realise that they had a God that they that gave them foundation, gave them meaning, gave them purpose in life that they could fix their eyes on. And what they found was if we if we've got this message, we need to go and tell people who don't know this message about it. So the natural thing was people in the second culture would go and talk to people in the first culture. 
So that's why we see this this kind of uh, this whole sense of people deciding to leave their their comfort of their new enlightened place and go into the places where they would say it's dark and they don't know the truth. Um, so th- there's a guy they talk about in this podcast called Leslie Newbegin. Great name. Um, and he left England in the 1930s. OK, and he travelled to India to do exactly what we've described, to be a modern, uh, a modern missionary, to take the good news to somewhere where they have no idea about this stuff. So he left the second culture of England in the 1930s, um, kind of um, post-First World War, pre-Second World War, um, that kind of culture that was very much centred around the importance of, of understanding God, uh, church, the Christian values. It shaped society and it's what people lived by. He left and travelled to India to do exactly what we talked about. But then he returns to England in 1974. So probably spends nearly 40 years in a first culture society trying to um, convince people that there is this other, this other way of living, another other way of, of doing life. But he returns to England 40 years later to a completely different society that he left. And the strange thing is, that as he walked, as he kind of, it says that he got a bus all the way back from India, back to England. And, and you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he travels all the way back to England on a bus uh, to uh, retire from his mission work, but arrives and finds a completely different culture to what he left. He, he sees England in the 1970s, uh, rebellion, free love, uh, post-free love from the 1960s, the punk rock movement, Sex Pistols, swearing on the TV. And his question was, what has happened to my society? And in essence, what you see, what, what you can almost, I suppose, guess in that moment is, has society gone backwards and gone back to the first culture? Because it's almost, in what he was seeing, it was almost like they were behaving in similar ways to the culture he went over to try and evangelise and connect with and change. He saw so many similarities between it that it was almost like this, um, this culture of rebellion or, or people just choosing to do whatever they wanted to do. Um, but actually, it wasn't that it had gone back because something new and something different had happened. And what he began to see and realise was that what had been born was a third culture. And the third culture was what he would describe as a post-Christian culture. And in essence, that's what we live in now. And this is why it's important if we're going to think about how to make an impact, we have to understand that culture isn't about ignorance or people not understanding what it's about, not, um, not understanding what Christian values are about. It's understanding that what he walked into was a society that knew Christian values, but had now formed a new identity that had chosen to, in essence, reject that way of doing life, which is a completely different ballgame to not even knowing that that was a way. So he, he, he said it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that it's gone back, but actually it's moved forward. And, and now we live very much in a, in a post-Christian culture, a culture that defined itself against the second culture. That's how it defines itself. It chooses to not be what it was, not be like the second culture. 
it's a rebellion in, in Christian terms. It's a, a rebellion against the Christianized culture and what it stood for in a lot of ways. It's a culture that becomes really comfortable with questioning authority. Uh, and, and sadly, the church isn't exempt from that. The church isn't exempt from the questioning and and people standing against and choosing to to stand against the authority systems that that used to be the voice of wisdom and the voice of, of understanding and the voice of uh, that you would trust and, and lean on. People have become comfortable with with questioning that. So it becomes a reaction against Christian culture. It deconstructs what Christian culture stood for. But the interesting thing is, and this is why we know it's a progression on, is that what it does want to do is it wants to stand against it, but it still wants to retain some of the values, some of the key things that made that culture good. It wants to take some of those things on. And this is why what happens now is we look back in hindsight and go, yeah, it feels like we used to, people used to really adopt these Christian values and used to think in this way, but now it seems like we've just forgotten those things. And actually, that's what we see in society, that in a lot of ways, people have chosen to sometimes reject it, sometimes move on, or, or what they feel like they might have done is, is allowed that to evolve to become something new. But, but those are the things that we would always say were the foundations that defined our society. Um, but, but what we understand is that the post-Christian culture rebels against those foundations not out of what we've all seen as ignorance, not because they don't know anymore. They do know. Um, they, but they've, they've not done it out of ignorance. It's their response and their reaction to what that culture has become. So it's deconstructing what has gone before and it's attempting to run ahead with the values of Christianity, but without Christ, in essence. So what, they describe it in this, uh, in this way, in this podcast. They say it's almost like the post-Christian culture wants the kingdom. So it wants justice, it wants peace, it wants equality, but it doesn't want the king. And that's the, that's the interesting change that we see in our culture, that the idea that we connect with this person of Jesus, in some ways, is, it feels like sometimes that's what people have actually rejected. But, but the danger is when we remove Christ as the key motivator in our lives and we remove him as the king, the system begins to fail. As what happens is we become completely reliant on each individual self, self-assessing everything. So it becomes about um, that everyone deciding for themselves what is right for them in their own world. Um, and as a result, society... Uh, what you see is society pursuing lots of good things, so wanting things like we talked about, justice, peace, equality. So society is pursuing lots of good and nice things, but they're, they're lacking substance. They're lacking this purpose behind it. So I suppose when we take a snapshot of our society now, what we can see is lots of people enjoying the pleasures of life is lots of people pursuing having greater experiences of everything that they want to do. So that's why we can see someone sitting in a boutique coffee shop, drinking a £3.50 cup of coffee served on a piece of driftwood with a nice cold glass of water next to it. Um, They might be wearing a £200 pair of trainers and working on a laptop that cost them £2,000. In essence, we see that people seem to have this pursuit of nice and good things, and they seem to be winning 
at life because it's all working out and, and they're building a life that is reliant on these things, acquiring these kind of things. And it appears in that snapshot that people have it all together, that it just seems to be working for people. But at the same time, we see a record level of anxiety hitting society. We see family breakdown becoming more and more of the common experience for everyone. We see mental health issues impacting so many people uh, across the globe. Um, It's a far from idyllic picture when you lift the carpet up and look underneath what's actually going on. So our society is this pursuit of of great, good, brilliant things that, that increase my level of personal happiness But actually, when we begin to peel back the carpet and look at what's underneath, it's far from idyllic uh, and it's very different from the picture that is often presented. And I suppose for me, when I look at that and assess that, this is the byproduct of a self-directed society that we live in, where you are the centre of the universe, not God. That that's where we end up hitting, that it's this confused state of when I'm king, this is what it looks like. And without a substance, without a, a kind of foundation and a purpose that, that lifts my eyes out of my world into something bigger, without that, this is where we end up festering at times, that we are the centre of the universe and everything needs to exist for my own personal gratification and happiness. And the challenge is, if that is what is going on in our society... If we're, if we're looking at society and saying, in essence, yeah, some people don't really know exactly what God's all about. We can, you can have conversations with people and go, they don't know Bible stories, they don't know this, they don't know that. But actually, our society has evolved from Christian values to become what it is today. So we live very much in a post-Christian society. And, and what that raises is this huge challenge of how do we then exist in our society now How do we exist as a church and how do we communicate our message of the life changing kind of power of Christ? How do we begin to take that out to our society when when in some ways people have, have, I suppose, chosen to reject it? Not everyone has. But in some ways, some people have chosen to reject it. And, And it only takes one conversation with a person where they've been in church and they don't want to do it anymore. They went, yeah, I tried that. They dismiss it because they've been down that path and they've decided that, yeah, 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 that wasn't all it cracked up to be. So now I've moved on. I'm going to try and find a different way. Now, the interesting thing with this morning is we're not going to arrive at a point of, res- of, of rev- not revolution, resolution. Um, we're not going to arrive at a point of resolution. I want to leave this hanging today. Because where we're going from this is, is beginning to say, actually, what do our lives look like? when we begin to understand that that it's not as simple as people just don't know the good news. People just don't know uh, what God could do for their lives. Sometimes people do, and they've still chosen to walk away. And that's not everyone, but there are people in our lives who who know enough and don't think it's going to be what they want. And... I think that really challenges and changes how we approach society, how we approach life and how we do life. Um, Because if it becomes about, it's just a case of inviting someone, all you do is invite them uh, and then they'll hear the good news. They'll see how good our lives are and they'll they'll want to be the same as us. And sometimes it feels like that's been the strategy. 
oh yeah, you show them, show them how great we are, they'll want to join us. And I'm just like, I don't know whether that works. It might work for some people. They might see something in the way that we are with each other or the way that we worship God or the hope that we have in, in the face of adversity. They will see, they can see Jesus in us in those times. Brilliant. That's the kind of message that can begin to start a conversation that leads to someone else being transformed. But our approach and our, our, um, our connection and our, our building of relationships with people has to be impacted by our understanding of society. So this becomes a challenge, reaching out to a society that has moved on from the foundations of Christianity in a lot of ways. It's not necessarily new news for everyone. It may even be old news for some people. And they may feel that they know better than, than that. So today we develop a little more understanding, I suppose, of why and how things are the way that they are. But as I just said, in a way, what we're doing this week is leaving it a little bit unresolved for, for us to ponder over this week and say, actually, how, how, do I, how does that challenge my approach to people if for some people in my life they, they know enough but aren't sure whether it's what they actually need? And I suppose the question moving forward, overriding question for us over these next few weeks, is how can we make an impact in a society that in some ways has chosen to reject Christianity? doesn't mean every individual has rejected it, but as a society, only it doesn't take a genius to look at the way it functions and the way the value system works in some parts of society to think actually it's not necessarily that we're riding on the crest of this Christian value wave and it's just a case of tweaking everyone's thinking. Some people need a bit of a revelation and a revolution in the way that they understand things um, to be able to, to connect with God in, this, in the society that exists in. So where we're going to go is we're going to take this understanding of, of our society is different to what it was and say, actually, how can we learn about effectively doing this stuff? So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to look at his life, his approach, and we're going to try and unpack what can we learn uh, about God in that time um, and how, I suppose, in essence, learn how continuing to choose God in the, time, in the way that Daniel did and in the times that he did, how can we begin to make a difference to the culture that we exist in? I think this is a huge challenge. But, but for me, it's not as simple as we just throw out, we just throw out the good news and hope that, that some people buy. For me, it's a bit more complex and I think we need to be a bit cleverer and a bit more savvy in the way we communicate the good news nowadays and the way we structure our own Christian communities to make it so that people can walk in and not feel like it's a them and us culture, that, that we've got the answers, you haven't got any answers, that we're, we're right, you're wrong. We've got to be better in the way that we do that. Uh, and I apologise that, that, that we're not leaving it on this kind of hopeful, kind of exciting end this morning. But I want us to think, and actually in each of our lives this week, in the different situations that you come across, I want there to be this little trigger in your head that goes, how, how do I effectively make an impact to this person? What is it? If I'm going to choose to become love to the people that I see in everything that I do in my week, 
how does that change the way I operate in this situation? And as you read Daniel, it is a stunning book because I'll I'll go into some history next week about it. But when you look at the, the society that he is basically kidnapped and made and taken from his land and made hostage in this society, when you look at how he operates and what God does through him, it gives me the best sense of hope and excitement about purpose in a society that actually you would sometimes describe as an alien world to what God originally wanted. And I'm not being dramatic about it, but in some, sometimes I look at our society and think we aren't that far away from the Babylon that Daniel was, was kidnapped into. So how did he do it? What can we learn from that? And how can we begin to see um, society and culture impacted by, if, if we can get our lives connected with God in the way that Daniel did it, what are the things that we can learn that mean that we could see society change? And there's loads of lessons. They're not simple lessons. There's loads of lessons. Um, some of it feels like you're on a bungee cord where you're making progress, being pinged all the way back, all of this kind of stuff. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put a bit more kind of meat on the bones next week. Um, but we're going we're gonna to begin by looking at Daniel and, and beginning to look at um, how we're going to do it. And I'll, I'll give us a little insight into where we're going to go, the kind of things we're going to look at. But, but I really hope that this begins to transform our thinking to the next level of where we're going.